Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delbert Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man, good to hear from you this week. We're going to look at some text, think about preaching, and just, you know, we used to call it Jabberjaw uh, back in West Tennessee. <laughs> Maybe we're one level above Jabberjaw, and we try to think about it, but we are. We're going to talk about these texts and think about preaching for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, in year A, these are the texts for September the 24th, 2023. Good stuff today, Bubba. Tell us what you got on your mind. Well, uh, you're, where you call you called it Jabberjaw, I don't think we had a particular expression. My mother said, there's your daddy running his mouth again. Running his mouth again. We're going to do some... Uh, <laughs> Under the oak tree running our mouth. That's what we used to do out in Slate Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Stand out in the shade and talk. So themes for the day. Um, I have something that just Mm -hmm. leapt out at me. It ran through this whole thing. I kept trying to find an expression. Um, It's, it ain't fair. (laughs) So what? It ain't fair. So what? Um, the unfair justice and mercy of God runs through all our texts, mm-hmm. complemented by our psalm. The unfair justice and mercy of God and the unjust and unmerciful, quote, fairness mm-hmm. people. That's the contrast that plays through all yeah. of yeah. Most prevalent in our gospel lesson, but it's in everything else. So mm-hmm. in Exodus, the people come out and they whine. It's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> they were quite they, good at this, yeah. They mm-hmm. take techniques about a slavery, does all this, and then they go, but we don't like the food. It's like, I don't see anything I like. That's a family story. Mm-hmm. Jonah. Jonah whine. <laughs> don't he, though? And God is great. Philippians, the people, the larger picture of Philippians, this is four weeks in Philippians, larger picture in Philippians is the people are kind of fussy and fuss with each other and God. And Matthew, man, (laughs) the workers whine. This story gets at it. And the owner is gracious. People whine and God is gracious again. (laughs) It ain't fair. And God says, so what? So what? Let's move I'm God and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. On a, on an Old Testament note, just something I want to throw out. Um, Richard Dawkins, I don't remember the name of the book. Yeah, God yeah. Delusion. Right. I'm going to do part of his quote about God, which he enjoyed, is that God is unpleasant, jealous, petty, Unjust, vindictive, racist, malevolent, bully, etc. That's a part of it. Mm-hmm. And my question as I read these texts today is what part of the Testament, Old Testament 
Yeah. And did he read the whole thing? Yeah. Or did he do a proof text mm-hmm. to look through? Because, yeah, you could build that picture over those massive amount of text. But their overall impression of God in Hebrew mm-hmm. is Philippians, I mean, uh, Psalm 1.5.8. God is just gracious and merciful. And merciful yeah. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's the picture. We're that is the picture. That, mm-hmm. that verse summarizes who God is. And each of our texts has a story in which people don't get that. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. I think is interesting is that people are really excited about God being gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love toward them. Yeah. They're not crazy about <laughs> God being that way toward <laughs> other people. Well, it's likely that when we want that view, yes, of God, you know, tearing up Jake and and giving everybody what, quote, they deserve, that it's almost always in passages where we want God to get them. We did Psalms in my congregation this last summer and uh, realized that, yeah, there's some pretty vivid language in there all the way from may an arrow pierce my enemy's heart to smashing the babies against the rocks. And you say, wait a minute, but really look at this. What is this? This is people praying that God would do this stuff. It's not saying that this is what God's going to come to town and do. And so, yeah, there's a lot of projection when we start talking well, about and, this. And a persistent image in this, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to overdo this image, is of a benevolent parent and wife. <laughs> Billy didn't do me right. I want you to. I want you to punish him. Mama spank he's on, him. <laughs> he's on my side. Dinner's ready, everybody. I don't see anything I like. Are, are we having this again? Can I have chicken chunks? You know, I got a chunk for you, son. Come on. That's right. <laughs> we eat what's on the table, or we go to bed hungry. By golly. Yep. All right. Here we go. Exodus sixteen. The manna incident. <laughs> Uh, it's the first in a long series of episodes that are just standard fare in the wilderness uh, story. And since we're doing semi-continuous, we get several. So right. the basic thing is the people whine or complain. Moses or Aaron or both do some kind of intervention. Sometimes they whine and complain too. Just kill me is one of my favorites that's come, come up after a while. Mm-hmm. Moses said, why did you kill but he doesn't do that this time. It's they're complaining, and God is gracious to him. That's the base story. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things today is some of the sources are reading backwards from a time, looking back and explaining the Sabbath before the Sabbath was a command, before the Ten Commandments, before they remember the Sabbath day. But this take six days all you can, but on the seventh don't, and on the sixth day you'll have all of that kind of stuff. That's kind of a backwards explanation mm-hmm. kind of thing. A couple of things go on here uh, spiritually that, that I preaching was. One mm-hmm. is how often we are so we we get all that God has done and focus on the pain of country as congregation yeah. get 
long string hmm. and only a squeal now. Yeah. So they forget the oppression they were under. They reinterpret their oppression. Yeah. Well, at least we had flesh pots and bread. Mm-hmm. At least we had something to eat. Starving out here in this desert. <laughs> they yeah. forget what they actually had to eat. Mm-hmm. The circumstances, what yeah. God had done, and they just complain about against Moses mm-hmm. and Aaron. And one thing is, you're complaining about us, but you're complaining about God. Yeah, yeah. And and God's response is much more gracious, I think, than Moses and Aaron feeling. Yeah, I mean, at this point, God's the patient. God, and, you know, we'll get to stories later where Moses tries to slow God down a little bit. But anyhow, uh, and and I I agree with you. We humans, when we look at this story and what are we learning about ourselves, um, we're ready to complain pretty much at the drop of a hat, I always heard, you know, which one day I'm like, I was thinking, Sam Hill, I don't see anybody dropping a hat. What does that mean? Well... Back in the day, you know, a couple of hundred years or so ago, and people settled things outside with the fisticuffs and whatever, and if you were going to punch it out with somebody in a gentlemanly manner, you both lined up, and rather than ringing the bell, fellow in the middle would drop his hat. Boom, it's time to go at it. Yeah. And it's almost like we just are sort of poised. We've got this spring inside of us that this thing happens, and it's like, ah, first reaction is to complain. And said, why is this happening to me? Yeah. Interesting thing to point out is in this text, complaining shows up six times. <laughs> complaining. Mm-hmm. Complaining. Mm-hmm. All about and the complaint. Mm-hmm. And we complain, but yet God is gracious. Now, that's that's one of those things. Think about that. In the midst of our complaining, God is gracious. God provides. Even God's response to us is not in measure mm-hmm. of our behavior. Right. Which should be a we should can count a good thing. Yeah. Most of us. Right. So the other the other way thing to look at in this is um sort of a test of obedience and of faith. That is take enough for the day. And if you take more it's gonna rot. Yeah. It's kind of a humorous kind of thing. Won't last. Do you trust God that tomorrow? It puts an interesting meaning on what we don't often connect this text with the way we give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Our daily bread is image for God will provide for the day. Mm-hmm. God will provide tomorrow. Trust that. And only take today what you need. Don't hoard. Don't pile up. Don't accumulate for yourself and and the others be damned, frankly. Yeah. You know, a lot of people do. Charity begins at home. I got to take care of me and mine. Mm-hmm. Lord, my, Lord, don't expect me to, to just not let my, let my people starve while I'm taking mm-hmm. care of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Perhaps God does. Because God. But yeah, there is uh, no, there is to be no manna inequality here, yeah. where a few households get ninety or ninety-five or ninety-eight percent of the manna, and everybody else is 
trying to fight over 2%, you get what you need, and that's enough. And everybody have enough. Uh, and uh, you trust that God will. And including trusting that, oh, I can get twice as much on Friday, the day before the Sabbath, because it'll still be good. On yeah. Mm-hmm. Trust God. All right. And the last piece that I like here is just a play on word. You know, all through the Hebrew scripture, we have these explanation stories. But I, I just love that. Uh, what is it in, in Hebrew? It comes out something like manhu. Manhu. Manhu, manna. And it's a very, it's another one of the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. You know, so God provides a gift. People say, what is it? <laughs> it's, like, it's like sometimes when our children are little and somebody, an aunt or someone who's out of touch with kids perhaps gives them a present and it's not something the kid's familiar with. The kids trying to, we're trying to teach them to say, thank, thank you. you. And what they say is, what is this? Yeah. Thank God. I, I, I mean, just sitting here now, I hadn't planned this, but when I was thinking about this story, and poor uh, little guy, well, I can't remember his name all of a sudden, the hero of the Christmas story with the glasses and all. Mm-hmm. And he has to wear that ugly looking Easter bunny outfit that Aunt Whatever gave him. <laughs> going what is this oh yeah. my god yep oh uh, you and i have threatened from time to time to try to come up and and write at least maybe some of the famous stories from the bible in the bubba version and uh <laughs> if if if, the, if this had been the southerners wandering the wilderness we would talk about god's miracle of the what's that what's that what's that what's so that? uh <laughs> And our, what's our response to God's grace in our life? Sometimes we not only cry out to God with need, but we're overly specific about what we want God to do. Mm-hmm. And when God provides God's answer, sometimes, what's this? This isn't what I asked for. God's response is what you want, not for what you want. There you go. And we as individuals, as congregation, answer uh, beyond the sometimes God says no, sometimes God provides an answer we had not anticipated. It's not, <laughs> not the one we wanted. Like these folks going out and looking on, the, they're saying, we need bread. Nice warm aroma. <laughs> Shaped in crunchy, whatever on it. And they go out and there's this little flaky stuff around. What's this? And we we have a, a tendency not but a lots of preaching possibilities all go. around all around the issue of how God responds to our need, whether we ask for ungraciously and how God responds what mm-hmm. we need necessarily mm-hmm. what we need. how we get beyond the what is it response and thank you thank you yep. uh, Psalm 105 is a standard kind of the first part is a call to praise it's a standard thing that comes helps us give it. thanks helps yeah. us give thanks and then there are different sections mm-hmm. of different things that people in Israel give thanks for and for 37 through 
45 recounts this episode in some way. What's interesting is the selective memory. Just as the folk in the wilderness had a selective memory of their slavery, the folk writing the psalm had a selective memory of what happened when they got manna. Because they say, the people ask. <laughs> Notice, it's not people complain, whined, and <laughs> groused. It's ask. And another, another story there is they came out of slavery. They had nothing. But in this psalm, they came out with gold and silver. And the oh. Egyptians were glad to see them because they were afraid of them. And, you know, reinterpret ask. And, and but if I I wouldn't focus down on this, preach on this this mm-hmm. week. But if sometime you wanted to preach on this, you might say our gold memories and silver threads, <laughs> which aren't exactly accurate. Any mm-hmm. of us who's got a congregation of any age, there's been a golden. Era. I don't know what the golden era is if you're pastor now. I'm yeah. Pastor. But when I was started in in the 70s and 80s, somehow the 50, 1950s, greatest era in any confirmation photos deal <laughs> of those confirmation classes, those eighth and ninth graders being confirmed, and the pastor, and they're in their white robe, up around on the, the pod, around the altar, and they have their picture made with the pastor standing there. And as you went through the years, that group got smaller, smaller demographic. Mm-hmm. People would see those pictures. That's when this church was strong. Then you go back and really look, and no, not so much. Not so much. Selective memory. <laughs> yeah, I literally asked my congregation one time when we were in the midst of trying to figure out where we were, what we were going to do, and. I'd heard these stories, and I said, so when was the uh, peak attendance here? When, 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 you know, were things just really good? And, and people were like, oh, I don't know, maybe tw- 20 years ago, something like that. And I said, would you believe, according to the church records, 1958? <laughs> and they were like, what? Oh, it hadn't been that long. I said, yeah, it has. But your point is taken. We yeah. uh, we can turn things and uh, you know say, oh yeah, that was so good back then. Just like these Israelites, yeah. I'm not sure anybody's going to ever look back and say, ah, 2020, that was the year. Uh, <laughs> I doubt <laughs> we, it. Very we seriously. don't have to worry much about that one. But, well, it uh, depends. Oh, uh, deep down into the future, when it's all online and Zoom and. And everybody's used to that. They look back, and this trend, we thought it was a bad thing, but it brought us into this new era of what the church used to be. Uh, I've had folks tell me I kind of liked COVID because, you know, I don't really care for all the meetings and coming and going. And said it was, you know, we watch on Sunday and have a Zoom meeting and and move on. So, yeah, you're right. We better look at old brother Jonah. Jonah 310 through 411. I think if you're going to preach on this, you need to be aware of just telling the whole story. It's a short story, mm-hmm. and our, our text is lifted out of a part of it. So it, it's easy story to tell. One thing just structurally to pay attention is that um, it's two acts, three scenes each, and they parallel. So mm-hmm. act one is chapters one and two, and act two, chapters three and four. And in act one, um, 
He receives a call. He flees and takes off. This is his response to the call. In Act 2, Chapter 3, we have another scene one of Act 2. He again is renew, renew, reminds the call. This time he obeys. Mm-hmm. In Act 1, the scene 2, it's he's on the boat and he's dialoguing with the, the pagans about God's grace and what God will do, and they throw him over. In scene 2, he preaches, and then he's dialogues a little bit about God's grace, and he doesn't proclaim, repent, and God will be gracious. He said, All he says is, 40 days, and this place is going to burn. And the pagans, again, pagans, pagan sailors, pagan uh, city, Kidding. repents. And then in scene three in the first act, we have Jonah and God dialoguing in the belly of the whale. God <laughs> has a miraculous event that saves Jonah, and then God and Jonah talk about it mm-hmm. as to how this reflects God's grace and he gets thrown. In the Act 2, the third scene, God miraculously has the bush come and God and Jonah dialogue about God's grace. So that's the structure. Is mm-hmm. Those two things happening. And the message is, it's a t- by the way, it's a tall tale. There's no even imp- minor implication. This is intended to be a true story. This is, <laughs> this is a tall tale tell a story it's from about the 5th century BC and it's about Israel's relation with the Lord community the, and what is God that God's chosen responsibility people aren't them the other so this challenges us and how it is we think either as a congregation in the American community as the congregation, as our denomination in the larger country, or our country. Yeah. How do we think of what is our relation with the other? And what does God have to say about our relation? Um, it's our failure to get God's grace. Jonah is not a hero. <laughs> I love the way the chapter one starts. So, God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach. And Jonah got up and fled to Tarshish, went in the opposite direction. (laughs) I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Um, And that signals this is an unusual. He grumps, crying, he struggles. His only honorable thing he actually did was say, throw me overboard. It's my God. My fault. Y'all don't need to die over the only gracious thing he does, when, even when he preaches, I can just see him wandering through 40 days and this God's going to it. He's not shouting. He's not holding up a little flag and, you know, street corner, and he's not got a loudspeaker. All right, I did it. I walked through the city. I yeah. said it. And then he's mad. He said, you made me a fool. He resents being made a fool, embarrassed at being made a fool. He told him they were going to. I called, I called down hellfire and damnation, and you didn't send any. Well, you know. Basically, God says, <laughs> so would you have rather 120,000 people die than you look like a fool? 
Mm-hmm. We have to ask ourselves some questions about what we would rather. Would you rather is a youth ministry game. This question is a would you rather be right and everybody die? Rather be gracious. Mm-hmm. Rather, and we have to ask ourselves, would we rather keep ourselves separate and take care of our own? Mm-hmm. Rather take counter each other. Yeah. And there's two two characters I love in this uh, in this tale. Minor role players. This is not a major point. It's just fun. To, I've always loved thinking about that worm. Uh, God, <laughs> God called a worm in the King James I grew up on, and to and smoke the gourd, you know. And I heard a preacher one time talking about it. that little worm eating a six foot gourd. That was quite a bit. Probably didn't uh, eat the gourd or eat the plant, but uh, here it's attacked. You know, God called a worm and attacked the bush and yeah, took it yeah. out. And then I love the end, the, this sort of ending, the 120,000 people. And there's some and animals, some too. <laughs> some cows and stuff out there. <laughs> yeah, I got to care about them, you know. So. That's, the pe- that's the PETA-verse. Yeah. People for the ethical treatment of animals. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. So the psalm, obviously, uh, tied in here with... Um, <clears throat> Psalm 145 has, uh, again, that verse, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's all. What we think of God, God really is. Often. And we are want God to be gracious. How often when to extend that to others, even others don't live up to our idea, they ought. All right, moving on to the to Philippians. We have uh, Philippians 1, 21 through 30. said earlier, first four, we're going to read out of um, this is for the, uh, One of the things to be aware of is that Church of had been a long time missionary writing a letter from jail and assuring them that he's okay. Basically, y'all have heard I got arrested. I don't need no bail money. I'm fine. <laughs> Everything will be okay. Um, thank you for your support. Continue to support. And basically, he's trying to get, no matter what happens to me, gospel goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gospel is not centered in what Paul does. The gospel is centered in what God does. And this language about to live or or die, mm-hmm. living as Christ and dying as King. They're very much aware he's in prison. Likely outcome will be executed. This he knows and they know. Yeah. And he's trying to talk about what that means not only to him, them as means. So first of all, one way to hear what Paul is saying in this line, living as Christ and dying as gain, is is kind of some of Paul's mysticism that. We are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ is in us. We are the body of Christ together. We to live each day is to live in Christ. And if we die, you know, we go to be with the Lord. And it's kind of like a reminder that eternal life begins at baptism, not at death, yeah. resurrection. And we've already gone into very so this life and the next life are 
though don't don't fear dying now hmm. say i don't fear it live as christ it's one yeah if i die i go to the lord uh the second part of that is more of a practical concern and i alluded to there about what happens to the gospel if paul dies he's trying to assure them the gospel hmm. it, yeah it continues flowing but to remain in flesh is more necessary for you. That's verse 24. Y'all, I know it would be nice for me to still be around to continue, but I'm convinced that if I go, uh, somebody else, God will raise up somebody else. Mm -hmm. I'm not the gospel. I'm just an interim here. (laughs) I'm just an interim. Yeah, you and I have been talking about that. That's another discussion. We'll come back to it. So, then in 27, he moves on to talking directly to them about how they should live in light of that. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's saying Christ lives in you, and so it's important that you live worthy of Christ. Even if I die, y'all live together. Yeah. Individually and collectively as a reflection. Yeah. So if I come and see you or if I'm absent, about it i'll know you're yeah. standing together firm in one spirit striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and in no way intimidated by your now when paul writes something like that what you know is <coughs> they are not standing they, firm in the spirit they're fussing they hadn't exactly been living that out have they they're not side by side with one mind in the faith of the spirit and some of us in all our denominations know there are parties that are arguing about what it means we're not standing mm-hmm. side by side mm-hmm. and we are very much intimidated these days by the p- opponents to Christianity mm-hmm. so when he says this you know later in the letter this is what he's working with trying to say come on y'all Christ is in you you're going to be fine this is the evidence of their destruction salvation and then it's God's doing this is a reminder that it's not what we do it's what God does stand together God's grace and we're great he graciously granted liberally not only Christ but yeah. suffering well so he is telling them I'm in prison I may die you got some trouble. Mm-hmm. But see, this isn't about what you do or say. It's about being united in Christ. And Christ will do in you what is necessary to bring salvation. You have the same struggle. You're going to suffer. Yeah. But Christ is doing this. Hold on. I'm afeard that this day and time we find our opposition find our opponents too often within our own ranks, or certainly within the ranks of the church, capital C. Um, We're busy taking pot shots at those who are seeking to follow Christ, but don't do it in the way we would. And and maybe they believe some things that we find a little strange and foreign. And, uh, you know, the phrase, the, you know, the the enemy uh, of the church being out in the world I like what I heard, I don't know, I can't give credit here, but somebody's saying now several years ago, um, it's not those people out there in your community that, you know, aren't in the church, you know, that they're talking you down or they disagree with you or they're upset with you. He said, they don't think about you. That's right. Yeah, as far as they're concerned, you know, uh, they don't get up on Sunday morning and say, where am I going to church? They say, what are we going to order at McDonald's today? Yeah. 
for breakfast. Uh, and so, sadly, our opponents are mostly internecine struggles, right? We're, we're, we're fighting along with, with yeah. one another. And the only thing I want to say is verse 27 is a focal verse for me in this. When you say, live your life manner in a worthy of the gospel of Christ, the good news, we need to remember <laughs> that living for Christ is good news, and we ought to act like it. Rather than being the angry sourpuss, you know, going to hell in a handbasket kind of folks that that too much of the time we can become if we're not careful. So that mm -hmm. recently there was a local paper story about a discussion at the board meeting for the local library. Yes, we're talking about banning. And I am long-term advocate. Parents should that not library. Parents. Uh, in my household, there were several. And I said, thanks. As a reader, if they read it and don't understand it, back, grab some milk, understand it, they ought to read it, and we ought to be available to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's my... Yep. I admit my my position, but what but one thing that bothered me was that the only people of faith there talk about this on the opposition side, the public face of the gospel. We need to restrict people mm. on benefit. Yes. That's how it came across. Mm-hmm. And I, I at that moment I should have. Mm-hmm. I did not know about the beat, but I, I should. Wished I had been there to be able to say that not one view always wagging its finger. Always again it. Yeah. Always wagging its finger in people's face because that's the yep. so what we have. And what we need to do is have a face that is saying, God is gracious. Flow to anger bounding instead of always forever. I remember, yep. uh, to your point, I mean, uh, the late, great Bill Phillips worked with us some years ago at Hinton Center, Methodist Ministry, started off in Alabama, and he told the story about early in his ministry, his wife, uh, he went home to Parsonage for lunch, and his wife wanted to uh, do some things that afternoon, and he said, oh, I better go back to the church. And she said, well, what are you going to do? So I'm going to sit in my office and read and do things. Well, why does that matter? You know, do you really have to? Well, I don't think people would like it if I didn't, wasn't, you know, if I was not there. And she, Bill, I want to tell you something's going to hurt your feelings. <laughs> they don't think about you, except when you're standing right in front of them <laughs> on Sunday morning or talking to them on the phone. Yeah. They really don't. They got other things to think about. Well, the same is true of the church, believe it or not. In terms of yeah. the larger world, they don't think about it except when it intrudes on the bus at them. They're surprised. Church is not that face because that's the face they see. Yep. As a congregation, past is to have a different face, different message. Mm-hmm. As we worthy of the gospel. Amen. The gospel. All right. Matthew twenty-one through sixteen. A simple story. In so many 
let be very clear. Listen to the very first part of verse one. For the kingdom of heaven, king heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like. This is not a prescription mm-hmm. for human economics. Be aware of that up front and, and say it because some people, well, that's just not right. That's not the way it ought to be. Well, that's the point, people. <laughs> that's why right. we, we say it from time to time. Remember, these parables were supposed to, uh, you know, uh, ri- ri- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More than ripple. They're supposed to, you know, make the Shut water, you know, boom. It upsets the apple cart. The the water is, uh, you the know, be- unbecalmed. Is, yeah. Parable is like a good joke story. It it makes perfect sense up to the point, and then it pulls a snap. Mm-hmm. Now, in a joke, the snap is, makes us laugh. Mm-hmm. In a parable. Snap makes us think. Yeah. Sometimes makes us react like mm-hmm. I don't like that. No, I don't like that. This one may do, but it's a parable that is based in the real world until it's not. Yeah. Supposed to. And so this is a parable. It all makes rational sense up last. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's the same. It's it's normal. There's a there's been you know, there are day laborers and there's every town I've ever been in small town in the south there's a place you know you go to get that people Mm -hmm. congregate Mm -hmm. that are willing to work for day labor and so this is one of those seasonal things where he needs day labor he needs where to go to pick up people started before daylight come on i'll pay you a day as well well hey oh man there's more work than i thought nine noon three he keeps going back still needs people got to get this crop in and every one of them, he says, I'll pay you a day's work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, he says, all right, let's pay up. Everything's making sense. He says, let's pay the last. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but it does for the story because then he pays them a day's wage. Not having been privy to the promise he made when he hired them, those who'd been working since 6 a.m. started calculating. Them boys ain't been here but an hour. Whoa, boy, we're going to make some money today. Overtime today, baby. And then they <laughs> said, wait a minute. Everybody got day wet. Now be carefully note. Nobody was cheated. Nobody was lied Everybody was told, I'll pay you a day's wage. And they agreed. And they worked day and he paid him a day's wage mm-hmm. nothing to complain about except their own sense that's not fair yeah their childish response that's not fair they grumbled against the land now let's be honest if this were the real working world there's mm-hmm. some grounds for complaint mm-hmm. even though honestly it's it's contract labor I, I, and I, they I all said i'd pay you this and they the, all agree they all signed the contract Verbal contract. Yeah. I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily way? And then he, here's the point. Why do you begrudge me to other people? Mm-hmm. I'm paying you what I promised you. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not a reversal of fortune. Like the other time, other time ends with this mm-hmm. line of, so the last will be first. This is a different way of seeing that. This is this is saying this is God's this is God's calculus. 
not out. 19, chapter 19, verse 30, right before it starts, ends with the line, so the last one first and the first one last. Then he tells the story, and then we have the same line again. So mm-hmm. I think that's the point. That's an inclusio, yeah. So this is the point. And this is a service in the kingdom of God, not about how economics should, can, does, or should work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not merit. See, God's our relationship with God, kingdom of heaven, is not merit merit based. Not based on our production. Mm-hmm. That's the calculation that people that hired out early in the morning. I produced a lot more. Therefore, I should receive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That may work. That works in the real world a lot of times. The real world by which I mean the mercantile economic. Mm-hmm. This is the kingdom of heaven. This has to do with God's grace. There is no measuring of God's grace. We, God, our worth in the kingdom of heaven is based on God's grace. Mm-hmm. God's grace. Yeah. We figure our worth based on what we think we've done earn God. God knows our work because we are God's beloved. You're all and, worth, yeah. You're all and, worth everything to me. Mm-hmm. And to move it into that family, and I'm an intimate family, and that parent-child relation we kind of started with, y'all behave, you know. It's not fair, so what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you don't, measure our love for children by how productive they are. We love our children because they're children and we provide for them. We love them and they're our children. We hope as parents that their response to our love care, they will grow as gracious and responsible human beings. They don't. That doesn't mean we say, well, yo, you're out. <laughs> we you, at least at least most of us for most until they're adult we mm-hmm. keep trying yeah that's the image here the perfect yeah loves their children no matter what they do mm-hmm. earth is not based on their productivity yeah earth is based on their relationship god the parent that's it I do believe that the focus of this passage is on the the grace of God, and it fits exactly what you've said. Just another illustration, though, of how this gospel works on us and requires us to look at ourselves. Two statements in here where the uh, those boys that had been out there all day, you know, it says they thought they would receive yeah. more. It was their expectation? Okay? Yeah. It was it was what they expected that set this whole problem up. And then for them to say to the to the uh, owner, you made them equal to us, and it just betrays. Uh, yeah. Hey, well, you know, I'm I'm the one who's really worked here, and I should. So yeah, we become prisoners of our own expectation. Uh, a a a text not in the text. I think highly. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
strolled through that uh, when we were in Romans, didn't we? Well, again, plenty to talk about here. Preachers, find what it is for your folks. Uh, get with it. Dig it. you got a lot to back up here. And, you know, I think this is fair to say, Bubba, let's not be Jonah prison into the pulpit on Sunday. I'm going to tell you all this. I mean, you son of some guns better better yeah. listen and then get up. upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good stuff. All yeah. right, Bubba, I've enjoyed it. We'll be back next time. And I really don't reckon there's much else for us to say today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a two bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with the gospel hymn, To the Work, To the Work. The words are by Francis J. Fanny Crosby. The composer is William Howard Doan, performed by the Dallas Adult Christian Choir. Oh,